Welcome to From the Rooker End. My name is John, uh, and with me this evening uh, is Jason. Good evening. Uh, and Lionel Burney. Evening, John. Evening, Jason. Uh, Lionel, where are we? <laughs> We're in your house, John. <laughs> yeah, we, are. we are. The Watford Mishmash poster is pride of place in the room here we're all on there yeah i was commenting earlier what a what a lovely piece of artwork it is but the fl- the noses are very unflattering well a- alex is consistent with his noses so at least we don't all not one of us looks bad with a slightly different nose yeah i'm straining under the weight of unsold books in, uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> in uh, my little bit there and you're you're podcasting ken furphy i think it's just in front of us I think yes. somewhere or did he get moved in the final edit I, I can't remember but uh, yeah it's a very Watfordy piece of art isn't it and it's it's the history of Watford in one image and we're going to be talking about the history of Watford uh, particularly the the near history of Watford Lionel uh, is here specifically for a special podcast we're going to do where we're basically on from the from the recurrent we, we've been chatting on our whatsapp group for a while and we want to sort of try and find out and define what it means to be a Watford fan particularly or at least try and start searching for it, not, not necessarily find the, the answers and and this podcast came from an idea Jason had about this it, all about Lionel's book Jason the 100 greatest Watford wins so what was your idea so I think we'd uh, we were on the way back from the awards weren't we you mean the Football Supporters Federation awards where we were nominated for best club podcast and we'd had a few beers so, yeah. so the mind was being a bit more creative than usual and it was basically really that Obviously, a lot has happened to Watford uh, in the in the Pozzo era, as we know, since the book was written. And uh, yeah, just basically asked the question: What games under the Pozzo era would get into the hundred greatest Watford wins book? And and I think what it help is, is as Watford fan is to define what makes a great Watford win and what makes the greatest of Watford wins, which is where Lionel's book comes in. So Lionel, you wrote this book in two thousand and eleven called The 100 Greatest Watford Wins. Mm. It was made, uh, came out at the beginning of the Dyche season, as we now refer to it as. Um, the Dyche era. The Dyche, Dyche era. era. It didn't yeah, last yeah, yeah. long. But... And so why did you write the book originally in the first place? Well, I'd done Enjoy the Game, which was a story of the 80s. And obviously, in my mind, that's still the greatest decade of kind of un almost unbroken success if you if you kind of cheat a bit and say 77 to 87 and then just forget everything that happened when Dave Bassett came in as manager <laughs> um and when this book is all about context and and as a journalist I hate this kind of trying to define or list uh you know the 100 greatest Watford wins but there's a, there has to be that conceit when you're trying to sell something to people you can't just say here's a collection of some some matches you might quite enjoy or might remember you have to kind of pin something um that people can kind of identify with the 100 greatest wins and then once I'd had that idea uh, which came really out of the fact that we were in the doldrums that period uh, and it's probably why I was looking back at the 80s with such fondness to write enjoy the game not that it was a terrible period of time really in in the grand scheme of things I think the Colin Lee Steve Perriman years were were worse um than than what we suffered I mean we didn't really suffer under sort of Malky and then Sean Dyche but the club itself was teetering again on the brink wasn't it and it didn't feel like the most secure place in the world it didn't feel like a place that you went and you felt incredibly proud of of even the stadium. I mean, bits of it were falling down. They were having to close another bit. Every time you went to a home game, another bit of it was closed or there was a banner over it to kind of hide it from view. And so the club was in a 
uh, not in a great state. And we were all wondering, well, will somebody, who will take this on and who will you know, try and make this into um, a football club that can start looking upwards again because everything was about relegation struggles. And so that's where the book came from. I wanted to just wallow and bask in some great days. I had a couple of criteria. First of all, I wanted it to be, wanted it to be post-war. I didn't want to have to go back to... I just wanted to make it easier, really. But I also thought, well, how many people are really going to want to read about matches from the 20s and 30s? I'm sure there are people who would, but I wanted to kind of condense the period a bit. And then I realised just how many of the greatest games were in the 1980s and and thought, if I'm not careful here, I'm going to be rewriting Enjoy the Game just in a slightly more (laughs) graphical format. So I had to kind of tell myself what the concept was. And the concept was the greatest wins within their context. So there are some matches in there, that, and I've been putting all of the content online in the last couple of weeks, and I'm looking at some of the matches in the 80s, 90s, even the 70s, and thinking, what did I, why did I choose that? And then I'm reading back and thinking, well, now I know why I've chosen it, because there's a story around that particular game. You know, either something significant happened at the time, or it was just a great win that came out of nowhere. And I think some of the greatest wins are the ones when everybody thinks, do you know what, we're, we're, there's no chance here, and then suddenly something amazing happens. You, you said there that the, um, the book came out in 2011. It, it doesn't exist anymore in terms of to, to buy. Uh, or You've launched a website called uh, the Watford's Greatest Wins. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. What, the greatest, 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 oh, yeah. I'd better get the, the yeah. address right. <laughs> GreatestWatfordWins.com. Um, which... Between, I think, what number up now? 95 is on there at the moment, as we record this, but each, each of the games is going to be put up on the website over the next, say, three months. Yeah, kind of like a giant um, spring and summer advent calendar of Watford he wins. <laughs> um, yeah, one a day, one every weekday, not doing weekends. Um, yeah, I'm going to give myself a bit of time off at the weekends, but yeah, I just thought yeah, the book doesn't exist anymore for the very simple reason that I printed too few. And the reprint cost, and it was an expensive production because of, there's a lot of photography in it, and it's yeah, it's on nice paper and um, and so on. And um, it's got a Goldie front uh, 100 on the front. The 100s in gold. I mean, yeah. I really went to town on that. <laughs> um, and also, I thought, should I rewrite it? Should I try and insert the matches in? But who wants to rebuy the same book with, say, well, how many matches would get in from yeah, the yeah, Pozzo yeah. era? That's what that's what we're here for tonight to decide that. Um, so I thought, why not create a website, greatestwatfordwins.com, upload the matches over a period of time. Um, it will get people up to the World Cup, probably. I think I've worked I, out. I was going to ask that question. Have you worked out what day number one will be revealed? What I wanted was for it to be revealed the day before the Premier League fixtures for next season come out. But I think I've made a I've made an error there. I mean, I could budge it still. I, I could still, yeah, I could yeah, still do could, a few. There's Easter in between. Yeah, I'm sure you could work. Yeah, you know, Good work Friday, kind of Good Friday, oh, Easter Monday. Do you know? Maybe holiday. I, I haven't <laughs> taken any of these things into account. But basically, um, the copy from the book is going up more or less as it appeared in the book i'm actually because you know book pages you you're confined to a bit of space so there's a bit of editing that went on so i'm actually putting up what was originally written so there's a little bit of extra content in there but um, i'm also explaining why i chose the match and then how i feel about that match now that's what we're here this evening for because the pozzo era what are we into now? Five years of an, an era to really rival the 80s. I mean, it's getting close. It, yeah. all right, it haven't had perhaps the high highs of, of that um, previous um, glory era, but we certainly had a lot, of, um, a lot of good days. And I think 
that's one of the things I want to get a handle on is, is the context of that. Um, yeah. you know, what those matches mean to us now and uh, are there some that will demand inclusion in the future that perhaps at the moment are just a bit too fresh? We're going to try and look back. What additions would we add to the 100 greatest Watford wins uh, from the Potsdam era? So we've had suggestions via uh, at Watford Podcast, via Instagram, at Watford Podcast, um, from just chatting to people as well. So there, I've got 20, a list of 24 games that were, were at this moment, we're going to define those as great wins. They are wins and they're all great to watch. But are they greatest wins to make it into the top 100? And that's where we sort of need to, 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 to define it. Were there any sort of particular things that defined uh, a win for you when you did... So let's say the, the top 10 games in the original book. Mm-hmm. Were there any criteria in particular that would make it a top 10 game? Did it have to have... 84 goals. I mean, on the back of the book, it says cup upsets, promotion triumphs, relegation escapes and some right hammerings. And that's kind of a shorthand for what the what the great games are. And as I said, you know, there are matches that really matter. Uh, There are matches that give you just so much sort of joy that it's bursting out of your chest. And then there are matches that are so crucial that, you know, your your chest almost contracts uh, and you, you grab, you know, the most unlikely win or a crucial win that staves off relegation. And so, you know, for example, quite high up, Winning at Oxford in 1991 um, to save ourselves from relegation back to the lower divisions. Not a, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, a terrible game, a 1 0, a poor Watford side, an even poorer Oxford side, probably. But because of what it meant, you know, so what I was doing was trying to rank the matches in terms of, you know, this kind of shifting criteria of was it a, a right good hammering or was it a really significant match? So, you know, big cup wins. Matches in Europe, you know, we won two games in Europe. They're obviously going to be right, right up there. Um, and then it gets a bit left field once you get out of the top 25. I mean, I've looked back at the book now and would say the top 25, I have no real misgivings about. After that, like I said, there's a few that I think, why is that in there? And and, okay. and there's an interesting reason that I can think of, you know, what was I thinking at the time? You know, sometimes what was I thinking? <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, they're the, they're the hundred that I chose at the time, and I think now, you know, we've got a long list to get through. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. The game that was always going to go in was that game against Leicester. Knockout takes, Almunia saves, knockout follows in, Almunia saves again. Absolutely astonishing. Now here come Watford. Forestieri. Here's Hog! Dini! Do not scratch your eyes. You are really seeing the most extraordinary finish here. Troy Dini wins it for Watford and sends them to Wembley. That has to go in the top 100, Jason. It's, it, it's got to. One thing that put it on the list alone was, was that goal that mm. we just heard. Is there anything else about that game? Because it's a 90 minutes thing, a game of football. Yep. That was... Less than thirty seconds. The whole sort of concept of putting games into into the book for for me, you sort of have a personal connection to it, don't you? And and and, it, and you remember the whole sort of something around the game. And for me, it was quite bizarre because I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a massive calendar fail for that game. I'd, I'd been all the way up Mount Snowdon that that weekend, and I remember where I was when Deeney scored. I was driving my mates back down on a on a motorway uh, or an A road near Shrewsbury 
and I and, and I got so excited I actually got to a roundabout and had to ask my mates which way I was meant to be turning <laughs> <laughs> and that's a little side story but that I, I think it's that sort of thing that, that differentiates those games from the other good games the maybes that, 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 that might might not go in there and, and it's that sort of personal connection to the games, I think, that helps get them in. Obviously, there were some good things other than the end. Fidra's opening goal was an absolute corker. Yeah, and it was it was his, it was his return line. Mm. He, he'd been, as he, he did on many occasions as a Watford player, he sort of wanders off and doesn't score many goals. Desire to be away from the club from, from the, in the January window has sort of been a hangover hit for him. But he absolutely stepped up and scored. Firstly, that first goal with his, by the way, the, the dink across the Leicester defence for him to volley um, was brilliant from Cassetti. Um, but that was alone, his sort of step-up performance was a, was a great thing to, for what for fans to watch. Yeah, but I think what Jason... And Jason remembers exactly where he was when this game was played and he wasn't there. He, I, you, I bet you can picture the roundabout you were on. I bet you can... I can. You can yeah, <laughs> and, and I think that's what it's about, is that that match, I, can, I will never, ever forget no. standing dis- silent disbelief as mayhem happened as people ran on the pitch and I remember that little video clip that came out like the next day filmed from the lower what is now the lower Graham Taylor and it's two young women climbing over the wall with their handbags <laughs> and running on the pitch and I know from catching up with people after the game a couple of friends of mine were actually once the penalty was awarded to Leicester which knockout he knockout didn't miss no, Almunia no, 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 saved no, that penalty yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think we always kind of the, the shorthand is wrong there Almunia saved that penalty but a couple of friends of mine were actually out in the concourse at the rookery end having thrown their uh, toys out of the pram oh, we've we blown this. I didn't watch it I, didn't wa- I missed the first save because I was sat on my chair and I'd written a text to Nicola my wife saying they've got a penalty we're not going through. Be home I'll be, in a minute. I'll be home in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically it. And I hadn't sent it. And then I was actually sat in my seat and everyone else had stood up looking down. And then there was the whistle blow. There was the sound of the kick. Then there was the cheer. And it was it was from the Watford end. So I stood up and just saw the second save and then the ball come out. So- and then you had to rewrite that text and say, I may be a few hours. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, to me, that is the greatest moment I've ever experienced at a football match. And and just because of the dramatic turnaround, the the, the, the depths of despair, the, it's all gone. And the, the kind of that sort of guttural anger that you get when something goes against you and you think that I haven't seen that well enough but that's definitely not a penalty I don't need to see a replay to know that that was not a penalty or what you know that's what you think isn't it as a supporter and then the the extraordinary set of circumstances and if if you don't believe that that somebody is controlling football from from beyond (laughs) the clouds then then that is proof for it and I mean I for me that moment alone is the the greatest Watford moment and it's not the most important and and in when we talk about context we then went and lost the playoff final to Crystal Palace but people have said you know you see it debated on forums or whatever and would you have swapped a kind of a routine win over Leicester in the semi-final you know lose that moment and win the playoff final now that we're in the Premier League, oh, absolutely not. You know, I, I'm I glad we have that Leicester moment. I would always have taken that moment. Yeah, I think I, 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 I just always knew, always knew that was such a unique moment in football. And I've always known, since it happened, 
I will never have it again. But I know a billion other football fans in the world who will never have that again. And there are moments in that whole move, you know, not just the save, but Cassetti's kind of desperate up in the air clearance. And then uh, the the way that so Anya uh, brought the ball down. Amazing, touch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the ball down the line and the, and Forestieri and his little, you know, I mean, he could have just run that out of play. I mean, he was, he was there were some great moments, but he was unpredictable. Everything about that move just happened perfectly the cross hog I mean how often do you see hog on the edge of the six yard box to do the little cushion header yeah. Deeney arriving and then absolute pandemonium I, I will probably never see anything quite like that again so where does it go in the list because it's in now is it top 10 Jason well if you go if you go top 10 you're pushing Southampton 7-1 out of the top 10 mm. um, Luton 4-0 away Everton 2-0 yeah. As Lionel was saying, it's what happened. That last minute was just absolutely amazing. Lionel, where, where should we place it in our top ten? See, I'm responsible for the list, and this Leicester match is, has, has just got emotion. And so I think it's right up there with um, reaching the FA Cup final. Just for people who haven't read the book, and I don't want to spoil the countdown online, mm. I mean, you just have to pretend that you, had, you don't know what's number one and two. But so would you, Okay, would you put it above Kaiser on that one? I would in terms of just the emotion. I mean, the Kaiserslautern match was the first win in Europe, you know, overturning the 3-1 defeat away from home in West Germany and, and getting through. I mean, you know, treading new ground. I mean, that was that was extraordinary and remarkable for the club as a whole. And yet there's just something about the, having, you know, witnessed that 90 seconds. Uh, it really is up there, I think, with reaching the FA Cup final in 1984 and winning the playoff final in 1999. as so uh, top five. I think it's definitely top five. The other games uh, in that era, let's call it, in this first part of our looking, uh, are they in or they out of this top 100? Are they greatest enough to make it through? Firstly, the first Pozzo era game, Jason, a 3-2 away win at Palace with a last-minute goal from Matty Vidra. In or out? It, it, it's ironic, isn't it? We talk about sort of big swings with the with the Leicester game. That was a big swing as well. And we've probably not had a in the Pottsville era. We've not had a bigger swing in these two games. The we were two one down, uh, approaching injury time. A brilliant goal from Abdi to equalise, and then yeah, a, a, a winner from Vidra. I think it's not going because it's, it's Pozzo era. It's the it, first game. It's a in, in, in not maybe the same level as that Everton two uh, nil in eighty two eighty three. But it is sort of a first game, so I think it's got to make the hundred. Yeah, it, it's. A, I'm, I'm going to perhaps lay my ground rules here. Right. Talk about the benchmark. So I've I've sort of done a bit of research, bit of preparation. Yeah, very nice. Today. Looked looked back through my copy of the book and sort of right. I'm going to benchmark. I'm going to see at what point do I get to a game where I think, oh, I don't really. I wouldn't want to take that one out. And now when we discuss all this on the on our WhatsApp group. I was I was the cautious one. I was the one saying we need to beware of recentism and not just sort of completely rewrite the book. But then I sort of surprised myself looking through, and it wasn't until I got to sort of seventy six and seventy five that I started to waver a bit and go, mm, I wouldn't want to take those out. So it's actually quite a big chunk of games that I'd probably be happy to maybe drop. You see, I would just say quickly on on the on this one, Zola's first league match, the Pozzo era. Is beginning. It's in there with Graham Taylor's first victory as Watford manager in '77, which I think was 
3-1 away at Stockport, I think, which is down in the 70s or 80s or, or maybe a bit lower. So I think it's on, on a par with that. It just about squeaks in for me. Okay. Um, but when you're thinking about an, a, a book of 100, you need to have this kind of um, bias towards making sure that different eras are represented. When you look at your list you've drawn up, John, I think it's on the fringes, this one. OK. Another game was then, Lionel, um, 6-1 away at Leeds. Yeah, One brilliantly, but if you ever go into YouTube, just Google Warnock Cam <laughs> Watford, and you just see this picture, this video of Neil Warnock throughout the whole game with all the six goals, with the um, injuries, with the sending off. It's all there. It's brilliant. You drew this to my attention this week, and I watched that on the biggest screen I could possibly find. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, a, a very well-connected Watford fan, extremely well-connected, sent me a message today saying, if you don't put this match in, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, now, because that's when, and he's right, because this was when it suddenly felt like, do you know what, something might be happening here. Now, ignore the fact that Leeds had had about 11 players sent off and all, all the goals were in injury time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was an absolute blinding right hammering it is a right hammering i think it i think it would be in the sort of 90 to 100 range what about brighton away that season 3-1 away vidges that one goal that he had where he just blisters his way yep. and scores over christmas break uh, just for the new year does that it, it was a great win is it a great is it great enough greatest win jason to make it into the 100 and I, firstly just just go back to the previous game leeds my brother-in-law's a leeds fan that goes in <laughs> <laughs> good, um, good enough reason <laughs> brighton I, I, again i remember the game the, the feeling for me with that game and obviously we'd, we'd had a slow start to the season and this seemed to be the point where we sort of really announced ourselves. We, it was live on the telly as well. Yeah. And I think it was an important game. Like I say, it was a, yeah, the important, game Jason. That, is it greatest win? No, I don't think I put it in. We're not putting I'd, it in I'd, I think I could, I'd, yeah, I'd be comfortable with not putting that one in. Again, our, our list, Lionel, was, was people's suggestions and it was more like a, a, a brain dump. There was a 4-0 home win uh, in the January where there was a, a, an amazing team goal that really sort of showed the sexy football that Watford were playing under Zola. Uh, 12 passes, which I'd forgotten until I spoke to uh, um, Ollie Wicken today. Um, he said, well, Forcieri ran into the snow at the mm. end of it. So there was that as well. Yeah. But I, don't, I can't find myself putting it in the top 100 mm, greatest no. wins. That goal, the Christian Batoccio goal, was um, goal of the season, I think, that year, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Definitely. But it's a game remembered for, for that goal, really. It was yeah. a, I mean, that was... We dismantle Huddersfield... But we just dismantled Huddersfield. Doesn't go, doesn't go in for me. <laughs> okay, so Huddersfield clearly uh, low on the, the things to make onto the list. And the other game from Zola, uh, one of his, so it, was, it was the next game after home game after the Leicester game, which was a six-one uh, home win against Bournemouth. What, what do you remember from that game, Lionel? I remember the feeling that the whole summer had been about another batch of new players coming in. And we were still adjusting to the new reality, weren't we, of a huge turnover of players, a a huge amount of Googling and Wikipediaing to find out who they were and where they were coming from. It wasn't always Udinese, um, but often it was. And just thinking, well... There's no point me exercising myself, getting anxious about who the signings are or the players that have left or whatever... This model, it's beyond me, it's greater than me, I can have no influence on it. I can only have an opinion on what I see. And, and I, I really kind of like unclenched my fists at this point. And so the first home game of the season, Bournemouth, thinking, well, they, I think they'd just come up. And yeah, yeah. um, we dismantled them, 6-1, Deeney hat-trick. I remember meeting you outside the ground and just saying, 
if Gabriele Angela isn't the, the captain of Watford when they win the Europa <laughs> League, then I'm a Dutchman. Um, I just thought he was majestic. Uh, everything about him was totally class. The treading on the ball all came a bit later on and the slipping over and the, and the being out of position and the, and the looking like he wasn't all that bothered came later. But at that point, I thought, this team is going to get 115 points and romp this division. And of course, that didn't happen. The Zola, the Zola coaster ran off the tracks and then it was, um, it was unflattering management and, and sort of unsexy football from Sonino. So my point on the Bournemouth game was that was a flash in the pan and so doesn't go in the hundred. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. The only Beppe Sinigo game that we were trying to could possibly go in was his last. <laughs> and it's not because it was his last. Uh, there was a 4-2 home win against Huddersfield. Oh, it's Huddersfield, so it's not going to go in. Um, which, <laughs> which, which Tamas got sent off. We were 2-2, but I, I always remember that game with Angela sort of lifting his arm, saying, come on, come on, get us through this. And then trotting, treading on the ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and, and the rookery did, and we, there is a file on our, on our audio boom um, that is the last about seven minutes of that game, which includes the final goal, the fourth goal, Valman Abdi. It was a great win, but there's no significance to it. It was a fun win, but there's nothing more to it than it was a nice feeling to have in August. What about the next game? The next game came forward from uh, was put forward by um, David Cameron Walker, a uh, co-host of, from the Rookery End from time to time, uh, and he wants to put in uh, Fulham nil, Watford five uh, in December of 2014. Live on Sky on a Friday night. Three goals from Deeney, two from Alman Abdi, uh, and uh, after 18 minutes. They had a goalkeeper sent off. DCW uh, wanted to put forward this game and the role it played in our promotion season. Watford had lost four games in a row in November. Slavisa Jakanovic had only just taken over from Billy McKinley. We, of course, had the period where we got rid of Beppe Sanino. Oscar Garcia came in and left pretty quickly. McKinley was there for a week. Slav then was appointed. Everybody was casting doom and gloom on the Hornets. The national media, Martin Samuel and all his mates were lampooning the Pozzos in the national press. Again, we, we thought maybe another promotion charge was going to slip away for a third successive season. In that week as well, Slav decided to banish Keith Andrews, who was on loan with us at the time from Bolton, from the first team. Told him he wasn't training with the first team anymore. He really put his marker down drew a line under the bad start and said, we're going to kick on from here. It was a big game. Fulham had won five out of six at home going into this match and we delivered the goods. We put five past Fulham. Admittedly, they did go down to ten men pretty early, but that didn't matter. Alman Abdi scored two, including the goal of the season. Spectacular 25-yard curling effort to the top corner. Troy Deeney, at the peak of his powers, scored a hat-trick. The away end at Craven Cottage was absolutely bouncing. That temporary little stand there was very much shaking to its foundations. And it really, we never looked back. We kicked on from that night. We went on, as we all know, to win promotion that season. But I just wonder if we hadn't have got that result that night in that fashion, going from where we'd been top before he came in down to seventh, we rose back up again. Maybe, maybe if we didn't win like that that night, we wouldn't have gone up and the rest is history, but it could have been so very different. Jason, but can it go in the list? Yeah. That's why this one in particular. Oh, I think he had a, a, a bit of everything. We had a hat-trick from Deeney, 
great goal from Elman Abdi, an absolute corker. We'd come out the back of a bad run. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just, just, it was on the telly for everyone to see again, sort of just away from home. What a, what a performance. And everyone remembers the loss on Boxing Day when we were sort of, We'd sort of fallen away at the top of the uh, of championship or first division, whatever it was at the time, and, and Fulham carried on flying uh, and, and won promotion to the Premier League. So it sort of put to bed that ghost as well. And you mentioned about Bettinelli getting sent off. He got sent off because we were brilliant. We were brilliant before he got sent off. It was our play that got him sent off, and we were brilliant afterwards. Uh, just a, an outstanding performance. You've got to realise away goals do count double in the 100 <laughs> as well. So that was actually 10-0. Yeah. But I think, again... <laughs> Contexted everything because the previous game, the previous weekend, was a 1-0 home defeat against Cardiff City. A dreadful game in which I don't think we even had a shot on target. It was one of those real, real kind of flat performances. And that was the day they named the stand after Graham Taylor. And there was the whole kind of nostalgic feeling. And and it was such an anti-Graham Taylor type performance. And we were still getting to know Slavisa uh, Djokanovic at that time you know who the latest in our uh, revolving door of head coaches is this guy any better than the, the three previous guys alright one guy was ill and one guy better heart un- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Um, better English than uh, Sanino and um, I mean Billy McKinley probably better English than Billy McKinley <laughs> <laughs> no, no um, and and so it I remember after that Cardiff game just thinking, ah, oh, this club is so far away from what it was then. And it's, again, about context. So to go to Fulham on a Friday night, a beautiful stadium, um, Craven Cottage, you know, it's got all of the old quirks and, you know, it's a lovely place to watch football. And to, to dismantle them, I think that definitely goes in. But it's kind of, again, it's another in the sort of the the 75 to 100 mark I would say okay Brentford um, away we, we've skipped everyone uh, chronologically we have skipped everyone but we'll come back to it um, Brentford 2-1 uh, away maybe it's good to go in because Andre Gray scored a goal against us in that game <laughs> <laughs> and then Nigalo came and scored two um, maybe it was that night Gino was sat there watching oh, I'm going to sign that guy in three years time and he's going to be brilliant <laughs> No, no. But again, it just seems like a good win, Jason. It doesn't seem like a greatest win. No, it, it, it felt important at the time. And, and again, what's probably brought it to the fore is that it was a late winner from Igalo. Uh, uh, a strange one, a, a decent goal. Really good um, reaction, though. But yeah, good reaction volley, but not as good as Vidra's goal in the home game against Brentford. That oh, was that a was an absolute belter! Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that so, was amazing. Yeah, it's from yeah, about so, it was from about two hundred yards, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sorry, Iggy. No. Then we won four three away at Bolton. Where what I one of my favourite things about um, about Slav was he would drop players and and sort of you know maybe not maybe not make them feel like they weren't as important as him. Um, and Deeney got dropped for that game. So he was on the bench. Um, but it came. He came on with a 90th minute winner that got us that game, um, and it sort of feels again. It's it's you know, it's, a away goals off worth, worth double. But that feeling when you're at that game, an away game, and you get a win. There's a there's a four three against Bolton from the mid nineties, the Gary Porter game oh, where three yeah. 0 down with twenty minutes to go. Gary Porter scored a hat trick, and it was four three. Watford won four three, having been three 0 down with twenty minutes to go. Um, and that game had no significance in the grand scheme of things, whereas this game, I agree, did have significance, and yet it doesn't match that one because the Gary Porter game was so totally out of the blue. It was like it was a game that you talked about 
for you know a year and a half. Whereas there are more games in this era where it's, it lived less long in the memory, perhaps. So it's a, yeah. you know it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's an art and a science. This it's not it it's not one mm. or the other. Is it going in, Lionel? I think it does go in, but I think that's because some of the ones in the and and people who aren't Watford fans when they've seen me tweeting about this book are like, what are there a hundred great Watford wins? <laughs> Obvious, obviously, are every Watford win is a great win, but I think there's some in the nineties that I would you'd bump that out, okay. you'd bump bump out to put that one in. Middlesbrough at home, Jason. We'd just drawn away uh, on the Friday, I think it was at Derby, two-two, yep. but it really felt like that felt like a win. Uh, and we're coming to this game, and the atmosphere was really pumping. I think, it was. And, and there were many games in that in that run-in where you could feel the nervousness, maybe in in the Watford side. Um, and it was the game that we won two two nil with Garlo with a belter from outside the box, uh, and that sort of then led into you know one two three four five straight wins afterwards, uh, and one draw at the end of the season. It, it was almost the, it teed up for it. But is it is that enough? to make it a greatest win for you? Well, I think there's more to it than that. Let's not discount Deeney's opener, which I think it was a great goal. I think a cross-field yeah. pass, he took the ball down well and sort of hammered it home from a tight angle. Absolutely, the atmosphere was brilliant. And I seem to remember, and I can't think, there was sort of a group of fans that had come from overseas sitting in the, uh, in the Elton John stand. I can't remember where they were from or which particular player it was they were. Were they from Ghent? They... And they were there yes. for Poodle and somebody who played for Middlesbrough. Yes, yes. And they were, yeah, they, they weren't quite, in some there cases they were cheering certain bits, but they weren't mm. as excited as the rest of us were. But there were, a, a, also with that, with, with this game, there were four outstanding teams in that championship that came away from the pack in this running. Um, us, Bournemouth, Norwich and Middlesbrough. They were, they were four excellent teams and one of them was not going not gonna to make it. That's how important this win was. It was Middlesbrough that didn't make it eventually. Um, I think they're so so important. And also, John, I think it's the weekend that uh, from the Rookery end stepped up in their promotion chase. If you remember, I think it was the Easter Saturday that we were live on Silver FM. Oh, we were live on the radio. Yeah, we were. And and, and just the whole the whole thing around that, and that just seemed to uh, heighten the importance of, of that weekend and what it meant for our promotion running. And and we stepped up. Watford stepped up. Again, it's all down to context, and for me, it goes in. I could be wrong here, but was this the game for the first time when announcing the team, um, <laughs> Richard Short yeah. did the did the first name, the and then the crowd did the surname? Now, that's a very common thing in in Europe, yeah. And it, when it's done well, it's it really is spine tingling. And that day, it was done well. It really, I felt like what. This is an event. This game is an event. And um, I think little things like that, just get that little frisson going through the crowd. Um, We were up for it. We really played well from the start. There was no chance of Middlesbrough getting a foot in the the game. Um, But, you know, there's something about the kind of the routine 2-0 that it's not a, it's not an attractive scoreline. One nil has got a lot of that kind of drama and suspense about it. Three one four one whatever you know you're starting to get into a convincing victory. Two nil is almost like yeah you know two nil we we did it. So for me, although there's a lot to love about that particular game, not in not in the hundred for me. Two two nil. What's what's the scoreline in the number one game? Yeah, but that was a, oh come on. <laughs> but, but that was like sorry. <laughs> but, but that was look. There's nothing on the cover that says this is consistent. Right? <laughs> so, okay. Um, 
So we make the rules up as we go along, just like football, really. I mean, um, the other one then, love <laughs> two from that from that year, has got to be well, there's Brighton two nil away. I have a little bit of indifference about that game. One, it was amazing to be at. It was stunning to be at. But we didn't get promotion at that game. Mm. We got it later in the day when everyone else fell over. Mm, that's a good point. It was a great, the fact that we, we got the early goal and then it was the Vidra last-minute goal. And on Twitter today, Pete Fincham showed the oh. picture that, of him with his lad on his shoulders mm. and the crazy face of Watford fans. And, and as, as a moment, that was amazing. But one thing I will always say about that promotion running is that we never got to celebrate together. That's a very good point. Mm. Because we never got that moment in a stadium as a big group, even in a away one or a home one, where we could celebrate promotion. There was a, a, a gathering in Watford Town Centre, but it wasn't a stadium. And I think that's why the only thing that gets it is it was the game that technically got a promotion. Yeah. And it was brilliant celebration when you were there, feeling to be there. But as a performance... Yeah. I love Slav's, you know, and again, Slav making a substitution early on in the game, mm-hmm. putting on Toja instead of Anya, and, and it worked, and we scored a goal from it. But I'm not I'm not 100% that it's going to go in the list, or anywhere high Ooh. in the list anyway. It's got to go in the list. I mean, Ooh, just I'm for, for context, number 11 in the book is the 2-0 win against Wrexham in May 1982, which takes Watford into the first division, the top flight, for the very first time. Clearly... Watford had got into the top flight another two times in between. So, you know, where does it rank in? So you're probably thinking, well, it's going to rank around the... But it's not a playoff final win, no, so no. it's nowhere close to that. But it's a good promotion win. Um, but like you say, yeah, I hadn't really considered that. You're right. It, it won the game pretty much over the line, but not confirmed in those 90 minutes. No moment at the very end thinking, well, we have done it. it that, yeah. that came a little bit later. And, of course, the Sheffield Wednesday match on the last day of the season when the title was up for grabs and then the shenanigans in the last 10 minutes. Um, don't want to broaden this out into a debate about the meaningfulness or not of the FA Cup, but for me, I would give anything to win that. We've not won that division. you know. And I don't want to go down in order to then win it, but that was an opportunity to win a trophy and, and put that on the on the mantelpiece. And not that there is a mantelpiece at Vicarage Road. <laughs> it's in there, but it's probably top 30, I would say, the Brighton match. The only game that has got to be high in that list is Watford 7, Blackpool 2. Now, there are a lot of big games and big wins in there. There's a lot of sevens by Watford uh, in that 100 list line from, from the 90s all the way down to the biggest one being number 10 of the 7-1 at home to Southampton. But that game, the turnaround, which is the title of the first Hornet Heaven um, about that game, or set around that game, seven goals in 45 minutes, turning around what, how I felt again at half-time, similar to the, 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 that, that game against Leicester. But this is rubbish, it's all going to fall apart again, was how I felt at half-time. But and I don't think it ever... N- Watford never scored seven goals in one half of football before, had they? That no. was, so that was something that is unique. And so that, on its own, it's an event that, that on its own, um, merits inclusion high up. It must have accounted for at least eight of the 20 million we sold a Gallo for. These <laughs> 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 four goals in that game. If you take off the ones that went in off his shin, then... Uh, <laughs> they're goals, oh, no, 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 I'm being very unkind. <laughs> I, I loved a Gallo when he, was, when he was good, and then I 
I mean, I have no hair left, so I mean, <laughs> clearly tore out all my hair when, when he was less good. But that fits into right hammerings at Buddy. It's a right hammering with, you know, around about the turn of that year, we were just stumbling a bit, really, weren't we? We were just trying to get going. It was like a, you know, the, the engine wasn't quite ticking over. It, it needed something to jump start it. And you could look again at context and say that win kick started it all. And then you look at the next match, they lost 2-0 at Bournemouth when, when absolutely everything went No, we went only wrong. lost 2-0 at Bournemouth, Lionel. You're looking at the scores, you're not looking at the game. That was because Angela gets sent off after 30 seconds when he shouldn't have been. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and we didn't get to have the game which we should have had, which was, OK, let's see who's the better team. Who oh, should get just up imagine if we, we didn't get to have that game. Imagine if Angela had not been sent off in that game and we'd not even got a, point. <laughs> we'd got a point. We'd got a point. We'd have won the... Bloody title! <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, my word. oh no! Oh. And and see that is the thing. Graham Taylor used to say this thing that the three points at the start of the season mean just as much as the three points at the end. But yeah. at the end, you've got all the tension and the nervousness and the kind of the, the huge sense of importance placed on these games because they're the only ones left. And you look back and think, why the hell didn't we beat them? Then we would have. Oh, that's the one that got away, isn't it? <laughs> one, one more thing on that Blackpool game. I think we didn't get the credit we deserved that day from the from the press. Scoring seven goals in a half in a half is an amazing thing. I think it was the same day that Bradford won at Chelsea and Middlesbrough won at Man City. Uh, so it, yeah, we just got glossed over. Everyone was talking about Bradford and Middlesbrough quite rightly because they were great wins for those guys and would appear in the one hundred greatest Bradford <laughs> and Middlesbrough wins. I'm sure. <laughs> So let's go forward to Kike season. There were many games in the latter end of that season that definitely aren't going to make it into the list um, that weren't in the FA Cup, at least. On account of not winning them. Yeah, yeah, that was the, yeah, they went wins, yeah. Three games that sort of stood out, um, apart from the Arsenal game, which we'll, we'll, we're going to do a different section just called Arsenal. There was the first home win of the Premier League, uh, a 1-0 home win against Swansea, which had come after a lot of draws, a heavy defeat at Man City, but when we got our first win at the beginning of September. Then there was this Stoke 2-0 away, which wasn't our first away win. We'd won away at Newcastle uh, 2-1 before that. Uh, but Geordie, again, one of the, the, from the Refrain team who uh, presents the podcast with us, um, he wanted to put this one forward. Uh, and this is what he said about why that was a significant game. You can't really call yourself Premier League until you've been to Stoke uh, and got a result. And early on in our first season back, we had the chance to do that back in October 2015 with Kike. Big important game because Troy scored his first goal after about 24 shots in the previous games. And it probably didn't seem like a, anything special at the time, but it was the first game in a run of about nine games in which we picked up 19 points. And in context, in the other 29 games that season, we picked up 26. I guess not many of us have rewatched it or bought a DVD, but it was the game that we proved to ourselves that we belonged in the Premier League and we proved to everyone else that, that we could play at this level. And that run of results kind of kept us up that season. So you could say that the Stoke away game back in 2015 was the foundation of our continued presence in the Premier League. The other one has to be the 3-0 home win against Liverpool. Now, Lionel, are there any of those three that you would put that mm. you would put in? Swansea. The Swansea game, I mean, it was just a 1-0 win against a, a, a not a very big team in the Premier League. The sort of win that if you were the Graham Taylor Premier League season and the A.D. Boothroyd Premier League season when there's basically only five or six wins, that would be one of your ones, wouldn't it? And it wouldn't it, felt, it wouldn't get in. But it for felt that. like that 
a little bit. At the it time. did feel like that a little bit at the time, and then the following week they won at Newcastle, and um, you know I think the Newcastle game's got a better stake claim to be included, but that doesn't get in either. The Stoke one, I kind of get where Georgie's coming from. But it's not the great. It's not a greatest Watford win. It was a. It was a good win at the time. But it loses points for how long it took to get out of the car parks afterwards. <laughs> so, as far as I'm concerned, I remember walking across from the train station in a very annoyingly light rain. It, it was, wasn't <laughs> that, it? Really, but, just like oh, just get yeah, to the game. You do realise that annoyingly light rain falls in Stoke permanently, <laughs> like all through the summer as well. Um, but the Liverpool match a week before Christmas. Jurgen Klopp had just taken over not long before. Igalo and the two goals. It was Igalo at his absolute peak. Everyone was talking about the scoop. That was about twelve million of the money we finally got for him that game. Good, good point. Yeah, but the scoop was. I mean, it was it was glorious for as long as it lasted, really. But then, sort of like an ice cream scoop, it it melted eventually oh. and, and and sort of faded away. The thing about that Liverpool game was it wasn't a vintage Liverpool. They were a good side. Let's see where they finished that season. Oh dear, they finished eighth. So, I mean, Did they really? Yeah, they finished eighth that season. It wasn't a vintage Liverpool. And oddly, 3 nils too comfortable. It, there's no jeopardy there. So whilst it was a fantastic win, and when you, when you look at it and think Watford 3, Liverpool nil, that has got to be one of the all-time great scorelines... It would probably go in, but it would be fairly low down. It wouldn't be as even as um, wouldn't be, even be as good as the two nil in eighty six eighty seven when John McLennan scored the little deft header. And John <laughs> Barnes scored by dribbling from the Red Lion uh, into the in, through the turnstiles <laughs> down the terrace yeah. all the way up the pitch um, and and putting it in the corner. And it wouldn't be as good as the two one against Liverpool in eighty three, which was the one that clinched runners up position and had all of that. Even though Liverpool were pretty much on the beach, the title was won. They were off on holiday afterwards. Um, but those matches had a sort of significance. This one was just a uh, just a joyous day. But again, I think probably mid sixties maybe in the countdown for me. So the only one that's going to make it from Kike's league that year is the Liverpool three nil, but. Low in the list. Well, unless we chuck in Troy Deeney's like late turnaround against Aston Villa, and just because, <laughs> just because it was amusing, but no, I the, don't think the so. rest of that game was terrible. It was. Terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns. Walter's year, then, Jason. Uh, there's sort of, for your consideration. Uh, was uh, 3-1 at home to Manchester United. Uh, first time we've beaten them for uh, many years, since at least the 80s. Uh, there was a 3-2 at home to Everton. That was quite nice. Um, and then there was a 4-2 uh, at home, uh, sorry, away for the first trip to the Olympic Stadium, where we came back from 2-0 down to win 4-2. Um, any of those games going to go in for you? I, I, I mean, for personally, Everton game. I, the only thing I remember of that game is a lovely back flick thing that Akaka did, but that's pretty much it. It was Akaka's game of the season, wasn't it? And, and, and yeah, and and you're right, that's about it. It was it was a nice win. Um, I also say that was the first day that the uh, sensory sensory room was open. It was, and we and, and yes, we we uh, we interviewed the uh, the lovely Shippy family that yeah. day, and that's yeah, I. I Definitely remember the uh, the irony of a caca who has no touch whatsoever. One of the one of the five senses and the sensory room opening. I mean, I, I can't avoid that. 
but 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 the West Ham game it has a, a loveliness about it. I was there and it was a joy to be part of. It, it, you know, again, it was it was early September. It was the week before Manchester United, so we hadn't had that sort mm. of early bump of uh, we've we've done it. Um, and being two 0 down, it felt horrendous. Um, but we did come back before the half time, uh, and then just went on and dominated. We could, I think at one point we could have got about about five or six in that game. That's a Carcass first appearance when he came on for about thirty seconds, and then, and then went off again. <laughs> yeah. Would you put that one in then? There's, there's a word that you love, John, that I use every so often, that's schadenfreude. Yes. And and I have a a, a feeling that, that that is part of this. A, we've done we've done well to come back. Um, I think we got ruined at the start by uh, Antonio because he always seems to play well against us. Yeah, to turn it around is, is, is great away from home. But West Ham were a bit of a mess at the time. Their fans weren't happy. The move to the, the the London Stadium, and I think we probably took more pleasure out of that in beating them in their own backyard and just adding to their troubles than maybe it being a great win for us. I I don't know. It's a it's a tricky one that one. Yeah, I uh, I kind of agree, but then the Schadenfreude <laughs> takes over again. Um, I have a real blind spot when it comes to West Ham. That was magnificent. I missed three of the goals because we were 2-0 down and two of them were scored right before half-time, yeah. weren't they? And I I, I needed, needed the loo and also needed to visit the bar quite urgently. <laughs> because, and it struck me there, what am I doing? I've spent 30 quid or whatever it was to come to this game we're out of it. I, I'm becoming the fan I don't want to be. I'm 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 avoiding the action. I'm standing at the bar. They've got screens up. You can watch in the you know the the and and you you feel in that stadium. It's like and I thought this when we went back last week, which was much much worse because obviously it was raining and cold and miserable and we lost two nil. Um, but it's it's like swapping a a really nice kind of up and coming um, townhouse in in East London. All right, needs a lot of work doing. Upton Park, you know, a lot of it's tumbling down, but you know, you could really turn it round and sell it on for a big profit. Upton Park. You watched and, far too much location, location, location. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, revealed. Um, and they've moved into like one of those uh, storage warehouses on a trading estate, the big claret and blue storage company. Uh, it's it's a terrible place. It's an absolutely terrible place. Everything that was joyous and brilliant about 2012 and the Olympics and the, the, the feeling of hope and optimism just is sapped away from you the minute you step out of Stratford International Station and you walk through what is now almost a, a sort of post-Chernobyl wasteland of, of, of forgotten hopes and dreams into a stadium that, that where no one wants to be there. No one wants to be there. When we won there, it was glorious because we knew they didn't want to be there. They were unhappy. It's not home. They'd lost a couple of games before. I think they'd beaten Accrington like in extra time in the League Cup or something a week before. And we absolutely hammered them, uh, having been 2-0 down. Uh, it doesn't necessarily go in the book, but if if I was to write just purely my own, you know, mean spirited <laughs> version of this book, it, that would be up there with sort of uh, you know, it'd be in the top ten, I think. <laughs> and then Manchester United, we for me, it sort of felt like this is it. We are here. We are established now because we we're beating Man United at home. It was in um, it was in Etienne Caput's summer, wasn't it? It was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he was getting forward and scoring goals, which was great. And he scored that 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 one against De Gea. And also for me. 
uh, after the games. It was, I think it was an early Sunday kickoff. Yeah. It was on the telly, wasn't it? After the game, uh, we had a family function to attend, uh, and I had to travel to Croxley Green and completely randomly bumped into a mate from work who's a Manchester United fan. <laughs> that just topped the day off. Absolutely fantastic. It was a Watford in the Premier League second year. Does that go in the list, Jase? Yes, for me it does. High, middle, low? Mm, middle, middle. It was, it was, mm. It's a big, I think still, mm. Manchester United is still a, a big, big club. And I know they haven't found it easy recently in terms of, relatively speaking, of what they're used to. But they're still a big club, and to and to beat them and and beat them well, three one. In the context of the game itself, they'd got back into it, and there was that that fear, that danger mm. that they might go on and win and, it. And we but just reacted lost, to that, and we just lost two. Well, we'd been absolutely trounced by Arsenal, and then we'd done. We'd, we'd sort of just like Chelsea had just done their Chelsea against mm. us the last home game, and you could just see the quality. Oh, look at some goal they scored. Fabregas did a lovely ball through to Costa, and you could sort of feel like, ah, oh, there is that distance mm. between us and it. But actually, that Manchester United game it showed, you know, uh, that we we could still mix it with the big boys. Back to what I said about the jeopardy, the lack of jeopardy in that Liverpool match in Kike uh, Sanchez Flores' season. In Kike's season, we were undone. Deeney got us level with the penalty, didn't he, against Manchester United and then bundled one over his own mm. line uh, minutes later. I mean, it was like snatching a defeat from the jaws of a draw, which would have felt like a great result at the time. This one had all of that, all of those ingredients and yet it was Zuniga's goal, wasn't it? That uh, I think, was that the third second, goal? Uh, no, was second, that the second, second goal? goal second the second goal. Yeah. goal. And then the third was just like icing on the cake, yeah. ribbon on the top. This section is going to be called Arsenal, um, and it's going to be called 2-1, uh, because uh, since the Potsos have been in charge, uh, Watford have beaten Arsenal 2-1 three times. Uh, the first one being the uh, FA Cup quarter-final uh, in March 2017, uh, which we won 2-1. Uh, then there was the uh, game with Walter Zari at the, uh, the last day of the, the uh, transfer window, uh, where we saw mm. uh, Cleverly for the first time. We saw... Um, uh, Niang for the first time oh. we saw him play well uh, and also there was this year where we won 2-1 uh, against Arsenal uh, with a, a 92nd minute uh, winner from Tom Cleverley uh, which will go down in, in Watford history as the Kahuna's game for uh, Troy oh, Deeney's yes. post-match comments yes. on BT Sports do all those games go in line or I think they do, but in kind of I think this year's one, the the, the Cajones game, um, less so because Arsenal are shambles now, aren't they? I mean, uh, it's not the same. It's it's mid eighties Arsenal, isn't it? I mean, they might as well, you know, Bellerin's in there, but I just every time I look at him, I just think Kenny Sansom. I mean, it's just, <laughs> what? I mean, I didn't particularly rate him when he was here. He's very quick, but you know, had a lot to sort of learn on the defensive side of the game, but. Um, that is an Arsenal team of of just... It's like a jigsaw puzzle that doesn't fit together. This year, particularly, the late goal, the very late goal, gives it some kudos points. But I think the other two, are the, they are special. So, the, let's, so let's go with the first one then, Jason. The FA Cup quarter-final. It was in our Premier League season. Mm-hmm. So it was a Premier League against Premier yep. League. Uh, it got us to Wembley, mm-hmm. even though it's only just a semi-final. 
Um, but that's football for you these days. Um, but it has an absolute thunder blaster of a goal from uh, Guardiola. Uh, yeah, I, I, there, there were moments of euphoria with this game. And I, and I think with the, the cleverly one as well, I think those two are very different to the away win in the league, which was more of a, we got the early lead and it was backs against the wall to, to sort of fight them off. But yeah, that first one, it, it, it was euphoric. The, 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 the first goal going in, taking the lead at the Emirates, that was, wow, we, yeah, you know, great, fantastic. And yes, the the, the goal from from Gediora was just, yeah, what a goal. It's like, yeah. it like, oh my God, what have you just done? Like, just absolutely amazing. Um, and again, it's like Lionel's talked about Jeopardy and at the end when they they got the goal back and then they hit the post and you think, oh my God, don't let it go, don't let it slip, don't let it slip. And when the final whistle goes again, you've got that, that feeling of euphoria because you've, one, you've hung on to the win. Two, you, you've beaten a big side. Three, you've done it in their backyard. Four, you're going to an FA Cup semi-final. Five, it's going to be at Wembley. All those things mm. at once. And absolutely, that one goes in. So for you, the most important? Of those three? Yeah. But, but not as important <laughs> as the 87 quarterfinal, I don't mm. think. I don't know why. The 87 quarterfinal, possibly nostalgia and age. I was a, I was a kid then. I was... And Schadenfreude again. Yes. Seeing Steve Williams throw, Williams throw his toys out of his prayer. Yeah, and they wanted a penalty in the last minute. Mm. The, the linesman and the referee didn't give it. They broke. Watford broke down the other end. Blissett put it in at the second attempt, 3-1, while they were still arguing about a penalty. You know, these days, the referee would be doing a tedious square, wouldn't he? Like, oh, <laughs> oh let's have VAR and let's, oh, let's decide what really <laughs> happened. No, let's not decide what really happened. Let's just carry on with what actually has happened. 3-1. Good night, Vienna. Um, I think that the the cut win was, and again, possibly a generational thing. But I have no time for the for this, uh, you know, dismissal of the FA Cup as a as a sort of we're not we're nowhere near big enough to say oh we we can't you know let's not bother with this let's rest our players we should be playing absolutely everyone from round three all the way through we should be hoping for easy winnable home ties all the way to Wembley and and we should be trying to win a trophy while we're in the Premier League and and that was you know people often say the cup we've got a better chance of winning the cup while we're in the Premier League with the squad we've got and the players we've got now and and it really felt like that those few weeks between the quarterfinal and the semi-final obviously the nagging doubt that it was Palace and clearly they were going to win and clearly um, you know it was going to be well it was it was 2-1 wasn't it but we we got level um, briefly enough to kind of think well maybe we might no we're not going to go on and win this are we, we we're going to lose at Wembley against them again but that Arsenal game was it was a, it was an absolutely staggering performance at the time, and I think uh, you know puts put us in within sort of touching distance of actually achieving something that that will go on the kind of the the gilded role of honour. So they're all going in. The thing about that game, January the thirty first, was the day before Graham Taylor's funeral, and I remember, you know, we're we're all kind of shuffling out from again the cup game huge allocation of fans like you know 5,000 or whatever it was the league game we're all down in the lower tier in that corner sort of you know it felt it felt different it felt like we were right up against it and um, 
just the the chorus of there's only one Graham Taylor, knowing that it was his funeral the next day, and Troy Dean hearing, obviously once I got on the tube and on the train, hearing that Troy Deeney had said this is this is for Graham, um, there was a real that was a tear jerking night really, and um, that for me the league game, particularly context again we'd been terrible and we were to continue to be terrible you could probably argue that that was the victory that kind of kept us up I know the wins over West Brom and Sunderland the the, the convincing one nils against two <laughs> dreadful teams um they kept us up really but the Arsenal win was so totally unexpected away from home um especially and just after losing to Millwall especially after <laughs> losing yeah losing to Millwall on that and when everything felt I mean even I was like you know I was ready to hit social media with some 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 really stern comments about Matt Sari's selection that day because he rested everybody and I, again back to the cup debate you know let's take it seriously but of course context and then three days later you beat Arsenal effectively clinch survival everything that was happening that week it was so emotional for a lot of us that you know of a certain age who who remembered Graham um, that yeah special game really. <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the rookery end. So now we're on the latest season, and as Jason said, the, the thing you can't let get too much and, and get in the way too much is recentism. Um, I'm sure there are Watford fans out there. I love this phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm using it. <laughs> I'm sure <Feel> free. <laughs> I'm sure there are Watford fans who would take the last 100 wins that Watford have had and go that with the top 100 wins <laughs> we've ever had um, but it, and, and that's what we've got to keep in our mind the recentism of it all and there were, there were two that from this season I think that are worth sort of debating about where they're going to go in the first one was a 2-0 away win at Bournemouth uh, which Colin again another co-host of From the Rooker End gave his reasons why that game should go in we absolutely battered them. And when you go to the Vitality, you're only given about a 1,000 tickets as the away fans. So you get the, the kind of most loyal, the hardest core Watford fans down there. And you're all huddled in one corner of the tiny ground that they call home. And we watched a kind of unveiling of, uh, of Richarlison. And the reason it was so sweet and the reason I think it should be included is that in the past few years, the rivalry between the two clubs has grown. And this started in the championship season when we both came up. We both came up automatically, they pipped us by one point. But it was a bit more than that. It was to do with the way we were covered in the media. Bournemouth were looked upon very favourably. They had the sainted Eddie Howe in charge, a British young British coach. They had lots of English players in the team. They played a kind of fast, attacking football and everyone loved them. And they were considered this tiny little club on the coast and uh, wasn't it incredible. Here they were, you know, on the, on the verge of the Premier League. Whereas we were looked upon in quite differently. We were owned by foreigners... Uh, the team was populated by foreigners who were mostly loanees. I believe we were, we were often referred to as Loanford as opposed to Watford. It was considered morally wrong what we were doing, whereas what Bournemouth was doing was considered to be you know, the correct way to go about it. Anyway, we both come up, we've both done well really, but the rivalry is definitely there. When we went down this season to play them, we hadn't beaten them there, we had I think a couple of draws down there in the previous two seasons, and, and this year it was great because it felt like we'd taken a big step forward and they hadn't, and it looked like we were going to, uh, to go on and, and really have a fantastic season. That victory particularly marked the beginning of the season and it just felt fantastic to be there and watch 
the defeat of Bournemouth. We played really good football that day. We looked very unified. We new players on the pitch, Chalabar, Gray, Richarlison. Very, very exciting. I agree 100% with Colin. But I don't think we can put it in yet. I think it's one that will gain a bit of importance as we go on. But the problem with that is Bournemouth, you know, they're not a titan of English football, are they? And, and that's, a, that's another kind of aspect to it. If you beat Leeds in similar circumstances, it would automatically gain a bit more because of the size of the stadium and because of the, the stature of the, of the hosts. And, and the badge. <laughs> oh, I mean, what about the badge? I mean, <laughs> chest-beating badge that they've drawn using uh, crayons. Um, but I think there's something about Bournemouth that's just so Mickey Mouse. And I, I say that as a Watford supporter. <laughs> and I, you, you wince then. You both wince there. That, that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm three beers in now. I'm, I'm saying what I really You're think. spending too much time on Twitter, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that if really, really, would a Bournemouth supporter value a win over Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, whatever... Compared to a win over Watford, yeah, I mean it's the same. It works both ways round. But they see. were chanting when we were up and winning at that point. They were chanting, you know, championes, championes. You know, they, yeah, that they, does. They, mm. they, they, and, and maybe, as Colin says, it, it's a recent yeah. rivalry yeah. that's it's still quite recent. Mm. And maybe that sort of maybe we'll look at it differently in ten years' time. It stings, doesn't it? But if they go down before us, then I'm I'm perfectly happy with with them winning the title. <laughs> but I, actually, I'm not. But at this point, as we're doing this podcast, um, the last Watford win, uh, which is the last one we're going to talk about, is Watford four, Chelsea one. Um, we beat the champions four one convincingly at home with. We, we are going ahead early, rightly. Um, yeah, uh, they get their, their second goal back, and as Mike said on the last uh, on the podcast, the the the, the two minutes, the, the three minutes that were from them scoring their goal to Yamat scoring his wonder goal, could easily be the most important couple of minutes of our season. The fact that we went, no, we are going to come back, we are going to be able to to do what we did and get four in the end. It feels big because we beat the champions. It feels big because we did it, yes, late, but we did it when it mattered, I think. For me, means it's got to go in, Jace. Absolutely. It's in. I, I got home from that game and I watched it back on the telly. When I was having my breakfast the next morning, <laughs> I watched those. It just, just the last sort of six minutes plus injury time, watched it back on the telly again. And I think I did the same again. And I think I even remember getting my uh, my little boy ready for bed and watching it on my mobile phone again, just <laughs> just to go through it again. Uh, and it, again, it's all about context. I, I, I like probably you guys know quite a few Chelsea fans, and to absolutely spank them for one. And and there's quite a few of these guys that I work with, and to, to bump into them at work the next day, I had this massive grin on my face. They were running a mile because they knew what was coming. <laughs> One poor chap sits two deaths away from me, and he's still getting it today. <laughs> it, 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 it's a fantastic win, um, and absolutely has to go in. Again, you've got the jeopardy thing that Lionel was talking about. They got back into it. Mm, Hazard is a fantastic player. You give him a bit of space. Doesn't matter if they've got only 10 men on the pitch. What a great goal. 
but yeah, the, the, the fact that we then, like you said, like, like Mike said as well, the most important two minutes, what a turnaround. Under Silva, heads would have dropped and we probably would have gone on to lost that game. What a reaction from the from the team. Absolutely fantastic and some and some great goals. In the book, there's a 5-1 win at Stamford Bridge from 1986, last game of the season, I think. That's relatively high up in the book. I think it's in around about the 40s, um, something like that. So, again, context, this has to go 20, 30 places higher. You know, forget the fact they're in the doldrums and they're really, uh, you know, clearly want probably want their coach out or they're just not, you know, just not functioning properly. But to, to, to do them 4-1, and particularly with, with the... The turnaround in spirit that was required from the from the equaliser to the second, third, and fourth goal, extraordinary. Yeah, that game you put originally the five one uh, in eighty five eighty six at seventy three. Ah, oh, that's fine. That's fine. So I think a good thir- twenty thirty places above that, definitely. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. So they're all the games that were suggested. The big thing for me, Lionel, is sort of defining what means a Watford win. It still means beating a big club, but it's showing character maybe more than anything. That's important. And that, for me, feels a very Graham Taylor thing. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at any era, past or future, you know, with Graham Taylor kind of in the middle there in the 80s and then again in the 90s, Everything is measured against him, isn't it? I mean, he wouldn't necessarily want it, although I think he secretly did want that, really. He wanted, you know, when, when Watford finished second in the first division in 1983, his, he always said, we've laid down a marker for another Watford team to go and beat, and I'll be delighted if they do go and beat that, but they've got to win the title to do it. I mean, what an incredible thing. <laughs> what an incredible thing. Likewise, the FA Cup, to, to beat Graham's achievement, Watford have got to win the FA Cup. League Cup probably a little bit. I mean, you know, uh, that, that's that's another one that we could we could realistically aim at. Um, but yeah, Graham and his team, all of the all of people who took part in that, they set the standard. And as I said right at the very beginning, if you were just to do it completely dispassionately and without you know elements of Schadenfreude and without elements of kind of uh, you know just looking at that context, you probably would pick 55 matches say from the 80s from that Graham Taylor first spell and possibly another 15 from the second spell and you'd, you'd basically just have a, a book of Graham Taylor wins but that wasn't necessarily what I was trying to achieve I was trying to look at you know maybe a little bit of bias towards other eras and other matches just to mix it up a bit. Jason, we we put one game in the top ten, and 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 maybe at, at, we haven't had the highs of of the original uh, Graham Taylor era of Europe. Do you think it is possible? It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> of, of course, it is. I think we we are in a very good place, and we're sort of going away from what this podcast is about into probably what we remind ourselves of every week. In that we're all right. We're okay. We've got good owners in the Potsos who know what they're doing. They've been in football for 20, 30 years. And whilst there are some aspects of the model that we sometimes question and, and things we might want to do differently, but we are, as a football club, a lot better off now than we have been for the majority of our history. So there is no reason why we can't aim for Europe. 
let's not mince words i want you guys to be doing the podcast from bratislava or Tallinn or wherever in late june like with no with no summer break whatsoever premier league season ends on may the 15th or whatever it does and then you're you you've got to go on an away trip in uh, like mid to late june uh, for the europa league that's that's what i want anyway brilliant we'll give you our missus phone numbers off <laughs> and you can ring them up and tell them um, thank you very much for listening. You said this is the, is the first sort of uh, run of podcast. We're not. Gonna, we're going to try and try and define what is what is being a Watford fan, uh, and hopefully in this game, uh, this podcast, where we've talked about the games that we would add to Lionel's original book um, of which of the Potsdam era games would make the the top one hundred greatest wins, not just great wins, the greatest wins. It, it's been a fun listen, uh, Lionel. Just to remind everyone, um, the book you can't get anymore. Um, um, so my copy not. I've got sat next to me is very precious to me now, even a bit more. Um, so if if the, you're, you're counting down the, the top 100, the original top 100, um, and where can we find that? Uh, it's at greatestwatfordwins.com. Simple as that. And the countdown is going up as we speak. So probably be in the m- mid-80s by the time this goes out, maybe. And then one per weekday until England get knocked out of the World Cup. <laughs> Let's say that. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much, Lana, for your time and uh, your, your vast knowledge uh, and uh, for, for creating what, so it's such a great book and, and many books that you've created over the years. Thank a you. pleasure. Thank you very much, John. Thanks, Jason. Thank you.